Hello and once again to the So Weird Podcast. I'm Kat. I'm Jimmy. I'm Emily. And tonight we are talking about Season 3, Episode 18, The Great Encanto. Who, incidentally, <laughs> is not all that great and neither is this episode. Right. Yeah. <laughs> As you can tell, we are all very excited. I think it's apt to mention that the reason why there's only three of us on tonight is because when we were coming up with the schedule and we all had a set number to pick, none of us actually really wanted to pick this episode. And uh-huh. I think it's fair to warn you guys as you're listening <laughs> that this is not one of our favorites. So if you feel strongly about the great Encanto, if you really love this episode, I am sorry. And please give us feedback to tell us why you like it, because... We can't really think of any good. So with <laughs> that said, please enjoy this podcast of The Great Encanto. <laughs> I, okay, so I signed up for it because I didn't remember it. Like, you know, it's not that I enjoyed it. I just didn't remember it. Didn't really have too strong opinions about it. But yeah, I'm not a huge fan. I have like fun memories of it. I think when I was younger, I didn't really give like the storylines too much of a, you know, like critique. I would just enjoy them. Um, So I've definitely seen the episode many, many times, and I can have it on and just not care and enjoy it. But um, sitting down and analyzing it from like a writer perspective, not to say that I have any credentials or anything, but um, I really um, definitely had a lot of quirks with the writing. And Okay, Wikipedia, here's the interesting thing. Wikipedia says Jeff Vlaming wrote Earth 101 and this episode. So you were just commenting on how on Earth 101 they picked up hitchhikers. And then in this oh. episode, there was a no hitchhiker rule. Yeah. <laughs> it does say written by Jeff Lamet. Blaming. Okay. Okay. I'm not sure about if he wrote any other episodes because I already took away the list. So <laughs> I can look it up again, though. I think that is pretty telling because Earth 101 is the only other episode that I really hate. Oh, Kat, hold on. He also wrote Avatar. Oh, right. Avatar 2. Oh, my gosh. Wow. (laughs) You are my least favorite hater, Jeff. Oh, that's so harsh. (laughs) I'm sorry, Jeff, but I do not like your writing. Uh, Right. We just wish that he would have paid a little more attention to, like, the previous episodes and... You know, the storylines. <laughs> yeah. What's the supernatural mystery? They said that it was magic, but or the, the dark arts. But I'm thinking that it's more of, like, believing in yourself. Uh, like, I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Believing that you can make magic. That's what I got from the end of the episode. What do you think, Kat? Well, in the intro, they present it as first questioning magic as a black art and then we see these cheesy gloved hands doing tricks complete with a magic wand with a white cap at the end and Annie questions but it's just a trick right or could it be real and it's cheesy right from the get-go I think she was right in that the theme of this episode does seem to be like oh if you believe you can do anything but the execution of this episode is just awful yeah 
I think it's also annoying because, um, you know, in the first two seasons, they portray magic as like something that witches do, you know, uh, and Fee's family, they're descended from a line of witches. Uh, it's kind of taken somewhat seriously, I guess. I don't know. Strangeling, I guess, isn't all that serious. But then in this episode, it's presented totally differently. Right. It's interesting that they go in the direction of magic tricks. And I think they could have done something really cool this episode. But they just took it in a direction that was so cheesy and so juvenile that it really made me loathe it. And I was interested in magic as a kid. My dad knew how to do magic tricks. And I was always entertained by that. But this episode was so, so bad at its presentation of it. And in that intro, I thought it was funny, like, when he's doing the magic trick with the floating ball orb, you could totally tell that it's, like, on his thumb. Oh. (laughs) It's so obvious, like, how he was doing those tricks. So, like, they didn't even get, like, a really good magician to, like, do the intro. (laughs) It was, like, a mediocre, like, someone you'd hire at a birthday party. Mm -hmm. I thought it was funny. So, Stark, like, learning about magic tricks and like bothering ned (laughs) yeah i really do think it's cute in the very beginning of this episode we cut to jack showing ned magic tricks and he's trying to master this card trick and show it off to everybody but it becomes a running gag in this episode that jack is really bad at doing magic well personally i like to think of this as being a connection back to his inspiration from meeting mr defranco in the season two episode james scar used to do sleight of hand tricks in the hospital but i know season three writers certainly weren't thinking of that and that is really disheartening to me but to me i like that there's a connection between jack's interest in card tricks and i like to think that that's where it came from yeah that's a nice thought though you'd think they would mention mr defranco if they were really calling back to that episode it's nice though i'm gonna go with you on that i really would like to think that it came from those roots you know yeah it's such a wholesome moment though some jack and ned bonding while ned's trying to get the bus ready and then all of a sudden this blonde kid shows up dressed like he's from a victorian era with very odd clothes and he basically comes over and just asks them for a ride and to his credit jack does bring up the no hitchhikers rule but then he does a total 180 and he begs his mom and whines like, oh, we're not taking any hitchhikers. Are we, mom? <laughs> like begging her to let this stranger come on the bus with them. And it's like, really, Jack? Why are you so blinded? You're the one who's supposed to be logical, protecting your family, keeping the weirdos away from them. And why are you suddenly fighting to get this random guy you just met on a bus with you just because he says he's a magician? Why are you letting me down like this, Jack? <laughs> it's awful. Mm-hmm. It does seem a little out of character. Uh, did he see their? Sh- did he see the Great Encanto show? I don't think he saw the show. Well, obviously he wouldn't see the show. Otherwise, he would know that this blonde kid isn't really the Great Encanto that he says he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's even weirder that he didn't even see his show, but he's desperate for this guy to end up on the bus with him. Yeah, and then Molly agrees to give him a ride since, like, oh, well, since you're a performer, we'll make an exception. That's so weird to me because if you're a performer, why do you not have your own tour bus? Why do you not have transportation to your next gig? This is so sketchy. Why are the Phillips, fam- the Phillips tour bus just 
helping him transport him from one place to another. Yeah. I don't know. Did you guys notice that before Inky walked up, that Carrie and Molly were behind the bus together, and they came walking up separately when Jack was doing the card trick with Ned? No, I did not pick up on that, but I'm so happy you did. Talking, and Molly was, like, looking back and and talking to him as they were walking up. I was like, what are they doing by themselves, like, behind the bus? Like, you can't put your luggage in the back. That's where the engine is. Yeah. And then also on the note of weird people being places. After they do leave on the bus, we get this view of just the shoes and pants of a villain with a voiceover. And that is our first glimpse of the evil magician of the episode, The Great Encanto. And it's so cheesy. I feel like he's a cartoon villain. I'm not a fan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his dialogue is very cliche. Doesn't he say you can run, but you can't hide? Yeah. Yeah, he's a interesting actor with interesting delivery. I did look up his filmography. It was interesting that he ended up um, being in The X-Files, and he actually got shot in the head by Mulder himself. I thought that was the coolest credit ever. <laughs> yeah, I saw he was in like 180 things, so he has mm-hmm. been in a lot of stuff. Alan C. Peterson, but his real name is Alar Aidma. I guess he changed his name like in the early 90s to Alan C. Peterson. Hmm. I guess like in the filmography world, they think like you have to have like a generic sounding to get casted. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, because you don't want to get typecasted just because of your name. Mm-hmm. So I think after that, um, once they're on the bus, uh, Inky starts showing them a trick with a ball. Is that it was an orange that he made disappear? Okay. Did you all notice that it's between his legs? <laughs> no, I didn't, but I'm glad you did. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, he makes it disappear, and there, you can see there's like a faraway shot, and you can see under the table, and the ball is between the actor's legs. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was, maybe it was intentional, but if you all didn't pick up on it, I guess not. <laughs> that is funny, though, because Jack is angling <laughs> to get magic lessons, and then Annie's the one who asks Inky to te- teach Jack since Jack wasn't going to ask for himself. I think that's cute that Annie's except for Jack and another evidence if you're a Janny shipper about why those two are good for each other. <laughs> Yay! Doesn't really add much, but it's cute and moves the plot forward about Jack's interest in magic. After that, we get this really bizarre scene at the drive through Anybody else pick up on just how useless this scene is? <laughs> I actually kind of like the scene with Ned talking to the burger <laughs> like through the the yeah you know the drive through when he's ordering i don't know why i just found that humorous um cuz he can understand what the guy's saying but Carrie has no idea what's going on yeah cuz yeah. he's ordering fast food so quickly mhm it was super funny i like that scene at least ned got like a little bit of screen time See, for me, it just seemed like such obvious filler. Like, I get that it was supposed to be a joke, but that's a really long setup just for the punchline of 
oh, 12.24 for a ton of food. That is magic. Like, that's just, <laughs> it's not worth it. It's not worth spending all that time for that one joke. And I feel like this part was stuck in just to give Ned more line. Um, yeah. It was kind of drawn out a little too much. Yeah. So, eh. And that's yeah. pretty much how I feel about a lot of this episode. Just, hmm. eh. And then they go through the drive through and then they park the bus <laughs> and just eat there. What was the point of that? They're on the bus all the time. If they wanted to stop and eat, why didn't they just order inside? If they were going through the drive-thru, why didn't they just continue on the road? Like, this is just a useless plot device to get them to help an old lady. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even notice I, that. I, know, I didn't people. either. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so the old lady's car won't start. Um... And Inky, uh, what does he do? He uses he his magic. magic. Okay, yeah, he, he does magic on the engine because he's really desperate to get going. He doesn't want them to wait until they can jumpstart the car. Um, and Annie picks up on this. Yeah, so. Yeah, she, like, realizes that it's not static electricity. Yeah, Inky's hair sticks up in all directions, which is another thing that seems really juvenile humor to me and really stereotypical. Like, just a physical comedy gag where his hair is yeah. sticking up in all directions when he uses magic. Mm -hmm. And then the creepiest part of the episode happens. Is it the creepiest or the goofiest? <laughs> it creeped me out. When I was younger, yeah. it was a creepy scene for me. Like, dolls moving always creeped me out. Yeah. Yeah, when the creepy hula girl bobblehead that's in this old lady's car turns its head around exorcist style and its eyes are glowing red, he's coming and he will find you. <laughs> and Annie's just like, that's all just? No, nothing. It's just so, oh, Annie, why do you never push things? <laughs> just accept it. Like, oh, he says it's nothing. So I guess the creepy talking doll was just my imagination. Yeah, but doesn't she kind of pick up on it later that night, like on the bus? It like doesn't she mention that? Yeah, she does, and I had a lot of quirk that scene because when the scene starts, it spans over the front of the bus, and Ned is like asleep in a cot, like yeah, right there in the front of the bus. Too. Right, That's I was like, since too. when? I know, like I thought he and Irene had bunk beds, but Irene isn't even in this episode. So, yeah, I thought they had their own rooms or something. Is yeah. Carrie, like, in there by herself? Like, I, I don't even know. Like, everybody gets woken up except Ned. <laughs> like, they just have them in the foreground when they open up the shot, and then they forget about him. <laughs> and they were so loud, and each of them come in the room, or, like, in, yeah, in the room individually, and they all slam the door. <laughs> like, when Annie comes in, she slams the door, and then she sits down, and she's like, hey... And then when Jack comes in, he slams the door. And, and then when Carrie comes in, he's... that like he was woken up because of their conversation, which I think is weird because it wasn't that loud. And then Carrie makes it obvious that he's up because Jack's up, and just everybody's awake except Ned. Mm -hmm. But it kind of goes into a later scene because Ned is super tired when he's driving on the road. And he says, Oh, I got to get a good night's sleep, you know, because he keeps seeing all the signs. And I'm like, Yeah, because they all. Up you up last night talking, and then mm -hmm. after they were talking, 
he spills the pepper bottle, which is like a loud clang. He releases a goose in there, and he's sneezing hella loud. <laughs> and then Molly wakes up. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was so weird. Like, a dude just sneezed a goose, and Ned doesn't even be like, hey, what's going on? Or tells him, quiet, I'm trying to sleep. Or what about that loud face that was, like, screaming at them in a loud, deep voice? That didn't yeah. even be like... And the special effects that they did with the pepper did freak me out as a kid, where all the pepper, like, forms together to create this weird drama face. And now mm -hmm. it just looks so hokey. Yeah. See, I didn't watch it as a kid, so, like, the evil hula doll and the pepper, it just, I burst out laughing, which <laughs> I don't typically do with a So Weird episode. Yeah, I did start <laughs> laughing when I most recently rewatched it. Because I like how Annie just disperses it with a magazine. And he's like, I don't have time for your evil magic mumbo jumbo. Just shoot, get away. She bans it off. And Jack is convinced that the pepper is magnetized. Yes, and that always confused me as a kid. I was like, what? How do you get magnets to do that? How? What? How do you magnetize pepper? <laughs> he's ridiculous. And this is the point in the episode where I get so disappointed in everyone. Because Inky reveals that he's an imposter. This entire time, he's been telling everybody that he's the Great Encanto. And then he goes, no, I'm George, the Great Encanto's apprentice who stole his bag of magic tricks. And instead of being like, oh my god, there is a fraudster here with stolen property, we need drive to the nearest police station they're all like oh no you ran away from your mean master how can we help you you poor lost soul right <laughs> what what is happening here what is wrong with all of you yeah it's bizarre they totally overlooked the fact that he's a complete thief <laughs> i mean and carrie does say maybe we should call the state troopers but it's not like it's like, yeah, maybe we should just do the right thing here. Yeah, and then yeah. it's Jack of all people who refuses to turn him into the police. I've never been more disappointed with Jack than I am in this episode. Yeah. And I guess he says that the real great Encanto is a bad guy, but they don't really elaborate on that. I know. Like, so it's like we just have to take his word for it. Um... That's where my real fault with this episode is. For an episode named The Great Encanto, we don't really see too much of him. We are told that he's a bad guy, but we are never shown he's a bad guy. And I feel like as an episode, it would be so much more interesting to see, like, the gang go to see one of his magic shows. And then Annie realizing that, hey, his apprentice is, like, being enslaved by magic, something like we saw in Siren. Or if we could get an example of him using magic for nefarious means and then the gang, like, going all out to stop him. But just yeah. to be told by this random stranger we don't know, oh, it's okay that I stole his property because he's going to do bad things with it. It's, well, stealing's a bad thing, too, and you did that. Why <laughs> are we helping you? I mean, to be fair, at the end of the episode, the Great Encanto tries to throw a big ball of fire at him, but by then, it's a little too late. It's like, you if know. If you steal my shit, I'd throw a ball of fire at you, too. Like, <laughs> I'm not convinced 
for all of these yeah. evil-ish appearances, I don't know if the great Encanto was truly all that evil. I still think Inky's just a jerk. I found myself like thinking very similarly. Like at the end of this, I was kind of upset for the character of the great Encanto because he basically gets murdered, <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> what did he do i was like was he he was a human being right or was he like a demon or an evil entity because all we heard about him is that he likes fame and money and he likes driving in limos and inky just wants to help people and so but then inky was like super hesitant when the old lady needed her car jump started <laughs> remember yeah. annie's like do you know anything about cars and he's like nope <laughs> like, he looked away. that's that so funny. true Right, he didn't want to help. <laughs> oh man, he's such a thief. Yeah. It's also interesting to note that during Inky's sneezing fit, and how he sneezes magic, and that is how the Great Encanto knows where he is, because apparently magic works like credit cards, and they can trace it based on your location. Mm-hmm. I don't get how that works, but every time he sneezes, something weird happens, like a wig on Jack. And it's like old school, and it feels to me like a bit of a flashback to when Patrick Lovis was in Miracle on Lane 2 playing the judge. Oh. Uh, he didn't play a judge, he played the brother of Frankie Muniz. And in one of Frankie Muniz's dream fantasy sequences, because he was upset with his family, his brother played this judge in the fantasy, telling him about how he was wrong and giving him a sentencing. So I always thought that was a cool connection. Oh, that's super cool. I thought, like, ironically, like, about the night, because I would think, like, around that time period would probably be when they maybe would have those type of hairstyles. I don't know. But um, that's a cool pickup that you picked up on Miracle and Lane, too. I remember that movie. That was good. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't intentional, but it's what it always reminded me of, at least. It's cool. And then we also got to see Annie with this beehive hairdo. That mm-hmm. was funny. Yeah. I kind of like that part. That I really didn't like is that one time he sneezes and this real life dancing pool girl appears and Jack's all, hello. And then she disappears and Jack and Carrie are like, no. <laughs> yeah. Seems so cringy and especially for Jack out of character. Yeah, it was. It, it did feel out of character. Um <sighs> He's not thinking about Gabe anymore, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then also for Jack and Carrie to just accept that items keep appearing and disappearing whenever this guy sneezes. And for them to just be like, oh, he's a world-class magician. Of course he can do this, and it's still just a trick. Mm-hmm. How does this logic work? Uh, speaking of the stuff disappearing and reappearing, one of the things that appears is a lava lamp. Which, when that happened, it made me think of Avatar, because Ned and Irene buy a lava lamp. Um, But this episode was written by the guy who wrote Avatar. So I wonder if that was intentional. Maybe it was his personal lava lamp. I don't know. Maybe. Was it the (laughs) same color? Yeah. They were both red. It was probably the same prop. Maybe. I don't know. Interesting. Maybe he mm-hmm. just thinks lava lamps are cool, and that's why he kept writing them into the episodes. Mm-hmm. 
you guys pick up like the reason why he started sneezing was because Molly had opened the window. I thought it was so funny when she just goes, let some fresh air in here. And she like just opens up the window really fast and runs out of the room. Like they're like, no, and she runs <laughs> out. It was super, it was out of character for her too, but it was funny. Yeah. But, uh, my favorite Molly line is from the scene when they're all talking at night and Molly walks in on the gang. She's a like this goose and she's like i'm going back to bed and all of this will be clear in the morning that is one of my favorite season three molly lines it kind of reminded me of the whole like conversion dream thing because yeah. remember how like, she knew about that so i was like what if she just thought it was a conversion dream and she's just like i'm going back to sleep like yeah. <laughs> i'll wake up in the morning like screw this. that's probably what her reaction was she's like this isn't real and if it is i'm not doing it i'm just gonna go to bed and it'll be gone when i wake up i wonder what they did with the goose did they just let it outside it probably got sneezed away yeah blue but anyway so as anki is having his sneezing fit the evil magician is luring the gang to a motel which is very seedy for a kid's show mm-hmm. and ned sees all these signs like oh come stay at this motel get a good night's sleep and as he sees more signs, he seems to be getting sleepier and sleepier until he decides, oh, I have to stop off. But when they get here, ooh, the motel is old and run down and has been closed for a year. Which seems like really cliche to me. Mm-hmm. Why did Molly want to stop? Like, Molly walks up to talk to Ned and she's like, oh, well, maybe there's a different Sunnyside Motel or whatever it was called. And she's I'm like, when, since when did you think you wanted to go to a motel? Like, it was Ned who got tired, like, and then she's like, oh, maybe he knows, and she points to the cop, and then he comes up to the bus, but I was like, since when did Molly want to stop? Yeah, and this is the part that weirds me out, because the cop just opens the bus door. Like, doesn't motion for Ned to open the door. He just walks right up to it, opens right up, like, hey, how can I help you folks? Like, but he's not, not really a cop now, is he? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Did you guys catch the line, like, when he asked, have you guys seen any hitchhikers lately, his okay. boss called? Like, Molly's line when it flashes to Annie and the gang in the room. You hear Molly, she's like, oh, you mean, like, hitchhiker, like, on the side of the road with their thumb in the air? That kind of hitchhiker? And he's like, yeah. She's like, no, we haven't seen anyone like that. <laughs> Yeah, and then as that conversation's happening, Inky is flipping out the back window, kind of how B and Jack did in that good werewolf when they were escaping from a monster in the front. Cool correlation mm-hmm. there. And, and apparently Annie went out there too, right? See, this is the part where it gets weird because Inky escaped from the back of the bus window, but then the cop slash the great Encanto is turns around towards the motel and Inky comes out from the corner of the motel like he was hiding in the shadows this entire time. And then I, when the cop morphs into the great Encanto makes everyone on the bus fall asleep and a um, cute thing, Molly snuggles up to Ned and it looks adorable. Annie is the only one who is not on the bus and also not asleep and it's not clear if she got off the bus when everybody was asleep and she was protected from the sleeping first by her panther or if she was just like off the bus already 
know. Wasn't she there helping him out of the back of the bus? She was inside the bus while he was sneaking out through the window. And I thought she went out, like, probably, like, right after him or something. And then I thought they went, like, around that, the motel building, like, the back of it and came out the side. So, like, when the great encounter turned around, then they were, like, right in front of him. I don't know. I didn't notice any problem, like, with the shooting of that scene. Better because the bus was in one direction and then Inky comes up from the, a totally different direction. When it looked like he had just climbed off the back of the bus. I thought he, like, ran around the building or something. <laughs> That's what I figured. I don't know. I guess, but it's like, how do you run around the building in such a small amount of time? Maybe he just wanted to catch him off, so he did. I guess. I don't know. And then Annie wanted to have her one-liner. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Annie, why are you even in this fight? It's not your battle. I was like, what's she gonna do? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so we see this great showdown where the great Encanto throws fireballs and Inky reveals that Encanto shouldn't have the magic bag of trips because he'll do bad things with it. <laughs> it it's so badly written. Like, yeah. you stole that bag, that's a bad thing. Your argument is invalid. And mm -hmm. the great Encanto is a cartoon villain in every sense down to the ha-ha-ha evil laugh <coughs> and the sound effects on his voice that echo it and make it reverb. But despite that, he's so much more interesting than Inky. And this episode would have been way better if we could see Encanto using his magic for evil and Annie stopping it with no Inky required. Good point. Yeah, it would have been a better at least, I agree. Yeah, and it's just so bizarre how the episode ends with Inky trapping Encanto in the bag, transforming the great Encanto's bag into the great Inky's bag. And we don't know what Encanto did or would do that was so evil that the gang regrouped in front of the bus at the end. It's yeah. so rushed. And, like, yeah. nothing was really accomplished. Yeah, it yeah. really did. And I didn't understand, like, why... The bag changed like was the bag alive and the bag was giving them their powers and the bag decided that it didn't want to serve the great Encanto anymore and it wanted to serve Inky now I don't know and I was thinking like was the great Encanto like an evil entity or a man who like sold his soul to Satan you know and got these powers to turn dark I don't know like what the hell was going on with that yeah I don't know either, and I, I don't know if they were just going for the visual of, oh, darkness turns, to, you know, like the black bag turns to white. Oh, mm -hmm. evil has been vanquished or whatever, but it it was just didn't make much sense to me. Um, yeah, and, and so much about this was cliche, bad cliche. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, the whole fact that Annie was like, um, Inky, you have to believe, like, trying to convince him he can take down this guy. I don't know, that kind of reminded me of Halloween Town, actually, at the end, uh, when they all go up against Calabar and they all have to believe they can do it, you know? I don't know, it is kind of cliche, though. Oh, I was thinking Santa Claus and the end of Elf. That's funny. And it's really, like, a testament of how much the show's been swept under the rug. You know, the episode seems like... 
an attempt to like hurry up and deliver a semi-paranormal storyline and to like appease a deadline you know it seems like really mediocre how the guy's like has a fireball pointed at them and annie's just like not she doesn't run she doesn't try to hide she's just like you have to believe <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so weird. Yeah. And then when the great Encanto gets murdered, she's happy. Like, see, all you had to do, like, or what'd she say? Like, I'm proud of you because you left your master in the first place. And I was like, well, that guy's like murdered now. Like, doesn't that guy like, have a social security number? Like, <laughs> kind of wonder what happened to the great Encanto to perform. Like you There's so much about this episode that just rubs me the wrong way because the writing, the quality of it is just awful. Yeah. There's no interesting plot, and the one that is, it's like you made this cartoon villain and then you don't even explore him. You focus on his assistant who's a jerk and you try to make him out to be some hero. No, he's just some cocky kid. Who should be yelled at and grounded by his mother and taken home in handcuffs for being a little thief? Mm-hmm. And to go a step further, he should go to jail. Yeah. So, how old is he? This is the confusing thing. They kind of imply at one point that he's older than he appears because he's saying things like, my boy, and yes, my, my good. <laughs> in the drive through parking lot, where I think it's Jack who asks, like, oh, so how old are you? And we never get an answer. So when I was just watching it, I was thinking, like, is he, like, a vampire or something? Is he secretly immortal? But it's never explained. Mm -hmm. And so I guess we're supposed to believe that the great Encanto must have been holding him hostage for a long time. But, um, again, it doesn't really come out and say it. So, I don't know. That's why I really like your point, that they should have shown a scene where you see the great Encanto abusing him with magic or like making him slave away or something, you know, and he begs for help from Annie and the gang or something. We should have seen a scene like that. Yeah, but I guess not seeing that is what makes this such classic season three so weird that Disney wanted them to move away from like the evil stuff. And Mm -hmm. when you do that, you lose what made so weird so weird because this doesn't feel like an episode of so weird to me. It feels like a Goosebumps episode. As a Goosebumps episode, I would probably enjoy it because that's what Goosebumps was. It was juvenile. It was fun. It didn't explain everything all the time because it was just weird shit happening. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. You want something deeper. You want a storyline. And this episode doesn't live up to that. I completely agree. Yeah. And I do wonder kind of if maybe they had to do some edits to this episode. Like it almost feels like there's a scene missing or something where there's more of an explanation of the backstory between the great Encanto and Inky. And like, maybe it was cut out. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder if maybe that's why we got the drive through scene instead. Yeah. Mm. Like instead of some useful backstory that goes a little bit deeper we just got that comedic filler. Jeff Flaming, come on and explain if you're listening. <laughs> right. if you are, yeah. I'm so sorry I ripped apart your writing. Uh-huh. And it's going to read like, I got hired for this job and they gave me some notes and I had a date to meet. So like I was sitting in front of my laptop with a bowl of cereal and <laughs> then I wrote this episode and, you know, it it went through. I sent it in, and they said okay. And next thing we know, we were shooting it. <laughs> he probably didn't give it 
like any thought, you know, like that's the sad part about TV shows these days is they create these characters that become living, breathing entities for their fan base. And then for the episodes to be so shoddy or to not follow, you know, the storyline or the timeline of this, it's just, it's sad. It's such a disservice to the fan base for Disney to do that. And, you know, they own a lot of uh, other franchises where I'm sure similar things have happened to characters and storylines. Uh, anything else, guys, or are we ready for ratings? I'm ready for ratings. Ratings time. This gets a profound zero for me. Whoa. Zero out of ten? Zero out of ten. Wow. There's really nothing I truly like about this episode other than that one line from Molly about, oh, I'm going to bed and all of this will be clear in the morning. <laughs> this episode isn't so weird to me. It's goosebumps. It's too juvenile, so out of character. It's not enjoyable at all. I don't like it. Hmm. Well, I would give it two thumbs down, definitely. But I have to say, there were parts of this episode that made me laugh. So, like, um, it, even at the end when uh, the police officer morphs into the Great Encanto, that visual is just so bad. <laughs> it it just was hilarious to me. So parts of it almost feel so bad it's good. But because it's a so weird episode, it can't be that way. It just can't be. It is like a disservice to the fans, and it feels like a slap in the face. So, yeah, it definitely gets, gets two thumbs down from me. And I'm going to have to give it, like, well, what I wrote down was four out of ten stars. Because <clears throat> I like the old lady. <laughs> I thought she was so cute. <laughs> when she's like, my poor granddaughter. Sorry, my voice. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. My voice is going away. When she's like, my poor granddaughter. I, I laugh at that part because she was it was so cute. I thought she did a really good job. I was trying to look her up, and I noticed that her like last acting credit was in 2008, and I can't find anything past that point. So hopefully she's still around and probably not acting anymore. But she was a sweetheart in the episode, so I gave it 4 out of 10. Yeah, I did like her. I like the part where she takes the hula hoop creepy bobblehead and throws it out the window. It's like, some good some, luck charm. So, so <laughs> yeah, she was the cutest part of the episode to me. I also thought it was worth noting that the actor who played Inky, he's in the first episode of season five of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And it's that, like, popular episode, um, I forget the name of it, Dead, the Dead, I forget. It's about, Dead like, Float? Yeah, that one. No way! He's oh my god, he is! Yeah. That, that, down, that was so. the only episode I remembered because it scared me so bad. It was the yes. previous episode. Everyone remembers that episode, yeah. Oh my god, that is... Yeah, I knew he was from something else. See, that episode, I, I still sometimes, when I'm swimming over drains, I have to, like, look down because <laughs> of that episode. It really freaked me out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that is, um, yeah, good find, good find. Right, that was a cool, like, little credit there. One other thing, uh, I didn't, I'm wondering why Molly was playing in a mechanics convention? That seems kind of random, but I don't know. She was playing at a mechanics convention? 
Yeah, yeah. what are you talking about? Wait, it's, explain. At the beginning, when they're they're getting on the bus, there's a sign and it says Molly Phillips is playing at a mechanics convention. I gotta go back and look at that. Oh, it, you're right. Molly Phillips mechanics convention. Interesting. It just doesn't yeah. seem like a place you would go to, but whatever, you gotta do what you gotta do to get get yourself out there. Um, I thought it was cool too, like when the old lady's car breaks down, the first <laughs> who wants to help her fix the car is Jack. And I was like, oh, cause he has a car. So he knows a thing or two. I don't know, I just picked up on that. Oh yeah. He was like the first one that's like, let's go help her. And I was like, well, he does have a car so he might be able to actually help. And then he goes and runs for jumper cables. And I was like, who's gonna help you with the jumper cables? You don't have a second car. And then he like mm. runs back and he has the jumper cables. And I'm like, okay, what are you gonna do with those? He tries. Right. <laughs> Even if most of this episode, he was so out of character. And that's why I gave this episode a low, low, low rating. Because it messed with Jack. I love Jack. He is my favorite. And this episode just... That's not my Jack. Season 3 really tosses him around. Yeah. Alright, are we ready for feedback? Yeah. Okay, we have a lot of feedback this week. Considering it's just been a week since uh, our last episode. So it looks like the first comment here is on the interview with John Cooksey. And it's by E Street Band Fan 1. And they say, this was a great listen during my road trip to the Bay Area last week. Impressive you were able to get John on the show. It definitely is a shame that after all his hard work in planning season 3, everything was abandoned and he was replaced too. Even with Kara gone, a few ideas like Jack is a knight and Molly's premonitions could have been worked around her absence and probably still feature a light tone somehow. Sorry for the semi-long post. I haven't really listened to this much. Uh, I'm sorry, I haven't really listened to much of the season three podcast as it's definitely the weakest season and it's hard to find some really good ones, unlike seasons one and two. However, I'm looking forward to hearing you guys do the one on the muse. That's one of the strongest episodes of the season. We had some great callbacks like Rick's guitar theme, a whole episode devoted to Molly and Rick's relationship, good moments with Jack and Molly, the song New Math from season two made a return, and of course, one last appearance by Chris Gibson. While Twin brought closure for Fee with Rick, the muse seemed to provide a sense of closure for Molly with Rick, while The River was a good finale. This episode should have been saved for the finale and brought the series full circle. So Great cool. comment. Yeah, I feel like that's such a good point. And I do like that idea about the muse being the finale to bring the series full circle for Molly. Yeah, so I have only seen that episode twice now because I watched it before I watched this one to prep for this podcast. And it is a good episode, but... um. I guess after the John Cooksey interview, for me, I just, I can't watch these episodes and take them in a positive light because, I don't know, just hearing him talk about everything that went down and his plans for season three, it's like, I don't know, I can't even view this as the same show in my head. So, I don't know. But, yeah, that's just me. Interesting. All right, and then from... 
Also from this so weird podcast, we have a comment from Hop the Border Productions. 20th like, if I had a million subs, all it would take is one mention and fleshed out video, and so many would know that it might pressure Disney to do a reboot. Those are cool nowadays, right? Oh god, mm-hmm. I wish. Like, so badly we wish that Disney would do a reboot. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like it'll happen, just because Disney's not interested in doing dramas anymore. We need to get Jessica Williams and Henry Winkler and, like, everyone famous involved with So Weird to get, come together and just all push for it. It's funny because, actually, Jessica Williams met Henry Winkler the other day. Um, I don't know if you all saw that on her Instagram, but I was like, I wonder if she asked him about So Weird because she's a big So Weird fan. I don't think so. Aww. It would be so cool if we could get something. I'm still hoping that Disney Plus will be positive for So Weird fans, but only time will tell. Yeah. Okay, here's another comment on The Muse. This one is from AZ and Seti. Just finished re-watching this ep, and I forgot how much I loved the return of the Molly-Rick dynamic, even with the retconned canon. Especially with Rick's muse form, although I do find the logic a tad confusing, which I remember strongly when he first shows up. The rest of the episode, however, I felt really clashed tonally. Looking at it now, like y'all mentioned, it's very obvious season two and season three were competing for screen time here, specifically whenever Molly tries to have a real moment and gets interrupted. Muse Rick, I didn't mind. I definitely hated how they purposely used Carrie for that. I wouldn't have mind if they further developed Carrie's musicianship in relationship to the concept of muse, which I don't think we got at all after listen, not even in rewind. If we couldn't get Chrysalis, I wouldn't have minded a similar constellation slash callback. As for Jack, I wish they tried to do something about his practicality and nightly inclination to protect and do good to subvert the art centric aspect of muses, like how muse Rick describes with his dad. But like y'all said, that type of depth or potential wasn't going to happen anyway. A for effort, but C minus for execution. I like That's, that. Yeah. Um, I like that she mentioned she found uh, the Rick's Muse form logic confusing. You all didn't really mention this, but um, when I watched the episode for the first time, which wasn't too long ago, just a few years ago, um, I thought that was Rick. I was very confused. <laughs> Even watching the scene at the end, I was like, hold on, so is he Rick now? Like, is, is that Rick in in his body? Yeah. <laughs> like, the different body. I was, yeah, it tripped me up. I didn't get it. I noticed that, too. Like, when I listened to the podcast, I was thinking that, like, did Rick become a muse after death? Like, <laughs> is the muse the ones that took him? Because the Banshee said it was not we who took him. It was the muse. <laughs> no. No, I always just... thought it was like the muse impersonating Rick because Rick is what inspired Molly. That makes a lot of sense. It just didn't make sense to me the first time I watched it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. A for effort, but C minus for execution. Mm-hmm. With a I also really like how they mentioned about the way they use Carrie. Because I feel like in season three, Carrie really does get ripped off. And that he, all he is is comic relief. They don't really develop his character any. Yeah, it's like him and Eric Von Detten have to play this same character in effect. And they kind of juggle the role 
whereas they're brothers in the show, but really they're actors having to carry the same role. <laughs> you know, like, they're rarely in episodes together. Mm. Yeah, at least in season two, like, they both got their own little arcs. Mm-hmm. A little bit with Carrie wanting to be a musician and arguing with his parents about it, and Clue being insecure about going off to college. Mm-hmm. But now there's no depth to them at all. Now that's what's missing, the depth that these characters had you know like i say they were like living breathing entities in season one and two like you could think these were actual people living next door to you and um season three just went extremely comical all right so next comment from muse is from that disney dude lmao at the waitress in this episode rapping that was a muse ing <laughs> oh that was amusing sorry <laughs> This episode was funnier than most, but I liked at the end when it all came together and the news got to help the right Phillips, Jack, not Molly, and by giving him that camera, he did. Good episode. So the next one is also on the Muse, but this looks like it was posted on what? Facebook under the Potomatic post? And it's by Ben Loudermilk. He says, something that has always bugged me about this episode is I can't help but wonder why the Phillips tour bus is parked on the sidewalk outside of the cafe because they like their coffee well and i've also worked at a hotel in austin um and we would whenever we did have like acts coming through their tour buses did have to park on the sidewalk because the artists would come through the back uh sometimes they would have to load equipment up into their rooms um so there was a place for artists and acts to load up their things um like on the side of the hotel so but they did have to park on the sidewalk in order to get their bus up to the opening. Um, so I could see, I guess, how that could be. I don't know. Next comment, Hop the Board of Productions also commented on our Pin Pal episode. They said, where did you guys get the info about season three doing a possible fee alternate universe? I've read everything on what season three was supposed to be and have not found that yet. Um, there was a document that we got of uh, an episode called Bermuda Triangle from the original season three, and that is the alternate universe story. Um, so for anyone who is looking for original season three material, if you go to the So Weird online community, so pro boards, yeah, so dash weird dot pro boards dot com. You go to the from the cast and crew board and the first thread is titled original season three plans. And in that thread, it has links to everything that we have currently on the original season three. Yeah. So I highly recommend every fan of So Weird check that out because it's really cool to see all the original plans. And it's also cool to check out the other things in the from the cast and crew thread because there's also the twin script with the original ending. I think we also had a early draft of Medium in there, a script of Banshee, so all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. All right, and then this next comment is from Pop the Border Productions from Earth 101. Supernatural, by the way, is most likely directly based off So Weird. It's an ongoing theory. Supernatural is about two young adults on the road. It's into rock-only music. They lost a parent when they were young, and they were after the thing that killed her. Their father goes missing, and that drives the boys to go after them. 
The ending was supposed to be season five's ending, which is them fighting the final battle by sending them to hell. A lot more similarities as well. Oh, and guess where it's filmed? Vancouver. They go on the road in America when it's Vancouver, Canada. The whole time with rock music siblings hunting weird things, looking for their dad while they lost their mom. Come on. Hmm. <laughs> so I think that is a really good correlation, but I don't think Supernatural was based off so weird directly. Those are just a lot of common tropes. Yeah, um, I totally picked up on all those similarities when I saw Supernatural. Um, but I'm pretty sure Eric Kripke, who created the show, I think he said he had had that idea in mind for a long time. So I think that, yeah, it was just a coincidence. Um, but still, good good points. Yeah, and there are also stories posted on fanfiction.net and those so weird area that has supernatural and so weird crossovers and that's really cool about stories about fee meeting up with the winchesters yeah so that's fun if you're into that yeah i i actually really enjoyed those and i think one of the common pairings crossover pairings is fee phillips and sam winchester which i actually really like more than any uh actual so weird relationship you know, romantic relationship um, other than Molly Rick, you know what I mean? But anyway. Next comment, um, it's by Hop the Border Productions as well, and it's on the Muse episode as well. He says, added insult to injury to this episode, the aliens say their planet is dying. Answer, their planet is now dying because the original season three arc was abandoned, so now all the aliens are doomed without fee. They came back looking for her and got Annie, lol. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Sadly, you might be right. And that was on Earth 101. Next comment is from, okay, this one's quite long. It's from Hop the Border Productions and on Will the Wisp. All right. He says, eh, the evidence is anecdotal from what I've heard of the Marfa Light. I was just reading an article on them, and it turns out there are two kinds of Marfa lights, real and fake. The fake ones are possible car lights, but the real ones appear and move up, down into the sky, or disappear and appear in the sky. There are stories about the cowboys of the time who, like we do today, tried to explain the lights away as Indian fires, just like today, we say car headlights. The Indian fires theory was because no cars existed, you will get tales to explain them away and tales to explain them as real. I would say as of now, there's no concrete proof that there isn't real Marfa lights. Right now, all we have is the ones that may be headlights, but no answer about the lights that seem to have a mind of their own and do not move at the speed of a car. The car ones are obvious. The others, not so much. In any case, no one wants to meet Brie Crew so late in the day on any occasion, LOL. He continues, why is the So Weird Forum no longer hosting the episodes? The links say not available. I don't think Fee was off limits because season three planned recruit pre possessing Fee. I've always wanted to know how that computer program would know which letter to stop on. I mean, it stopped by guesses. It stopped on specific letters and it stopped on its own. It would have to be that it was guided by the spiritual rule that recruit's deals are binding. So the computer becomes a character as a guesser it has to be supernaturally stopped. It doesn't matter what tech you are using, it still needs to know his name to begin with and to stop on that name. 
The clue was not an anagram for his name. It was merely saying it is seven letters long. So what? Kind of a good point, though. I, I have thought about that. Like, that does seem strange how that computer program did figure out Brick Brew's name um, solely by knowing it was seven digits. Um, what do you guys think about that? Well, I, I think it's weird that, like, the letters pop up. Like, it figures out, oh, the first letter of the name is B because the guesses aren't supposed to be that way. You're supposed to be, oh, your name is Brie Crew. Your name is, you know, Rebel Stiltskin. Your name is whatever, you know. It's not mm -hmm. supposed to be one by one. So I do yeah. think that's kind of weird. But I think it was visually, it kind of heightened the uh, heightened the suspense, I guess. And I think so. it's also just part of the suspension of disbelief when you're consuming fictional media. You kind of just go with it and be like, okay, it, it, it works because it's fiction. Mm -hmm. Now, as for why the So Weird Forum no longer hosts the episodes... We never hosted the episodes ourselves, <laughs> but we do have links to them available. If you go and look for into the season one thread, for example, you'll see a folder for So Weird Complete season one in AVI format. There's a mega folder in there that does have links to all the episodes. Originally, we did have a, a folder for every individual episode with an embedded link to the, the YouTube version of it but those youtube versions were taken down long ago and we have no control over that but yeah. we do still have the episodes available through the forum sorry it's a little confusing we could probably do some cleanup on the boards to be honest but they are all on there all the episodes um, yeah if you need help finding anything feel free to make a comment on the forum and we'll point you in the right direction yeah you also mentioned uh, that season three planned Brie Crew possessing Thee, um, but we talked about this a few times. That's not that was not going to be in the original plans. Um, John Cooksey said that that was not going to happen in the FAQ. Yeah, I still see that rumor popping up a lot because I know there is somebody who posted the so weird videos, <laughs> so weird episodes, and we do see some misinformation on there from time to time, and when we see it, we try to comment to clarify. But definitely check out the FAQ so that you do get to see all the information that we have available on So Weird, so that you don't hear these crazy internet rumors and mm -hmm. then things that So Weird simply was something that it wasn't planned to be. Yeah. I mentioned this in our group chat, but I kind of wish that at the end of the John Cooksey interview, we had done like a rapid fire true or false for all the rumors that we've heard over the years, just so we could reference people to that so they know, oh, this is from the writer. It must be true or false. But we cool. didn't do that. Did Maybe another that? time. Maybe next time. Yeah, yeah. We were already kind of, I think you all mentioned that last time. We'd love to have him on again if he's listening. He's not, but uh, yeah, that would be great. Now, speaking of the uh, interview, I asked people if they would be interested in a transcript of the John Cooksey interview. I am working on it. It's going to take some time, but it is going to happen, so... Uh, I will let you all know whenever I'm finished, but it will be a while. Yay. <laughs> yeah. I just figured it'd be a good resource for people to have, mm -hmm. um, you know, because it's easier to search for stuff through a document than like through an hour and a half long interview. So 
That's true. Thank you all for your feedback. Uh, we got a lot this past week and we really appreciate um, hearing all of your thoughts. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much, everybody. We do read each and every comment and we love to see so weird discourse going on. Mm -hmm. All right, and Jimmy, why don't you tell us what you're currently working on? So I had an Alex Johnson fan reach out to me. Um, I had posted one of her videos from YouTube and she thanked me and she said if I had any ideas about um, any other videos. Well, I have always wanted to kind of do an unsung history for Alex Johnson. She's kind of had a really crazy up and down ride in the music industry um, as well as in the acting world. Um, so I told her that I wanted to do or my ideas about a documentary and she instantly started getting to work and um so it's been some time now and finally tonight so by the time this episode airs it will be available um it is entitled alex johnson from then to right now and it's a short documentary about alex johnson's career and we really hope that the fans enjoy it i'm excited about it that is so cool I got to see some rough cuts of it, and I am blown away by her editing abilities. She's worked on some reality shows. Her name is Erica Munoz. She's worked on some reality TV shows, some television movies, also worked with some other singers on their music videos, um, and some other documentaries. She, she has experience. So I really enjoyed the rough cuts she sent me. I think we're all going to be, um, you know, it, appreciative of her hard work. She did a good job. Yeah, it definitely sounds like something so weird fans should check out. Oh, thank you for letting us know about that. I think you all mentioned this last time, but we are doing a year-round celebration of So Weird this year. It's the 20th anniversary of the show premiering, so we are um, kind of celebrating each episode's anniversary. Um, but I, I just wanted to say that I've decided to start re-watching the show and... Um, Along, along with the episode premiere. So whenever the next episode premieres, I'll rewatch that episode. And I'm really enjoying it so far, I have to say. Um, I'm only like three episodes in, but it's like I'm rewatching the show for the first time in years, because I kind of am, even though I've been on this podcast. Because uh, uh, like we started recording this podcast two and a half years ago, and I haven't rewatched the earlier episodes since then other than like making gift sets and i've stopped doing that for a while so it is it's like i'm rewatching the show again and experiencing it somewhat new again so i encourage everyone else to do it too yeah and you can follow the the weird on channel twitter so that you can see when it's posted for each episode's anniversary mm -hmm. yeah it'll probably be on fridays so this concludes the Grading Canto episode of the So Weird Podcast. I'm Kat. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Emily. Keep the faith and never give up on So Weird. Bye.